0: A reading from Acts. Peter addressed the people. You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the Holy and Righteous One and asked to have a murderer given to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.
2: a reading from john see what love the father has given us that we should be called children of god and that is what we are the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him beloved we are god's children now what we will be has not yet been revealed what we do know is this when he is revealed we will be like him for we will see him as he is and all who have This hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he has revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as He is righteous. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. is Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus stood among the disciples and said to them, "Peace be with you." They were startled and terrified, and they thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, "'Why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have.' When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, "'Have you anything to eat?' They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Alleluia, Christ is risen. please be seated. Uh, Welcome to our third Sunday of Easter. Uh, We have exactly 50 days, of course, from Easter to Pentecost. Pentecost meaning 50. For us, I think, to try to grapple anew with what resurrection means. It is a reality, I think. Frankly, we have to return to year after year after year after year because it is so different. From anything that we are used to and so I think ineffable. You know I came from a parish in which we understood very well resuscitation. Resuscitation is what happens when somebody dies temporarily and they come back to life but of course they will die again. Everybody else in the Bible who gets their life back be they Lazarus or the widow's son dies again later. Where I came from, in Coronado, where the Navy SEALs are trained in North Island, of course, that is part of their training. They are intentionally drowned, and they are resuscitated. They must know what that is like. Of course, we know that they will all one day die again. Jesus, the only resurrected person in the Bible, is much different. <laughs> he comes back in such a way that he will never die again. And of course, what's fundamentally different and, and Gosh, if they made this up, they really were artistic, because I would not have thought this way. When you are resuscitated, the wounds that have killed you go away. Jesus, who is resurrected, his wounds never leave. That is a state of being that is fundamentally different, I think, from not only our experience, but our imagination. And we're invited, once again, to consider what the resurrected life is all about. At the time of Jesus, the early church, and continuing to this day, there were many theories about what actually happened. Um, These are oops theories. One is, oops, the disciples saw a ghost. Resurrection is a spiritual reality only. It's a metaphor. You see that the gospel goes to great pains to have Jesus touchable, Although, you know, haven't you felt touches that weren't really there before? I'm really thinking about mosquitoes in the summer. (laughs) Oh, there was nothing there at all, right? Not only is he touchable, but he eats and his feet are on the floor. So he has this physical embodiment that is resisting the claim that this is just some spiritual bit. And quite honestly, I think that speaks to us still. The tradition I grew up, one of our banner hymns was, one glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away, as if resurrection were only available to us after we died. I'm confident that the miracle of resurrection is for us to consider how it's embodied in us as we live and how we might live a transformed and resurrected life now a few other bits that people were saying back then is now you've seen monty python's life of brian you know they got the wrong guy <laughs> so they they got brian instead of jesus and they happened to look similar and look now he's back having never gone anywhere and of course jesus in luke says no it's it is i myself We don't always know this because we've kind of put some of this um, off to the margins, but the gospel writers were very particular in the wording and phrasing they used to speak to people who had their doubts at the time. It is I, myself. Of course, there's the idea that Jesus, um, being up on the cross, just sort of uh, swooned. He went into like a temporary coma, and then three days later awoke refreshed and renewed and was just fine. Um, this is why I'm pretty sure in the Gospel of John, he gets pierced in the side, right? Because that kind of puts the, the coma idea well to death, right? It's um, really hard to have your heart stabbed with a spear and then wake up three days later. And um, then of course, the earliest one in the book is the stolen body, the stolen body, that the disciples steal the body and claim he's come back. But please notice what's interesting, the disciples are not happy to see the resurrected Jesus. They're terrified. They're not exuberant as if all of their hopes had just come to pass. They are afraid. (laughs) And I think it is with fear and trembling that we are invited again to live into the consideration of what the resurrected life looks for us right now. You see, last week we had our patron Saint Thomas do something really quite interesting. Thomas, the patron saint of science because he demands experience right he comes to Jesus and wants not only to see but to touch to touch the places of Jesus's wounding and you know I I think just in short the miracle Thomas who gets you know the bad reputation to be calling doubting Thomas is in fact the first person to call Jesus not only Lord but God The experience of Thomas, I submit to you, is that he touches Jesus at the places of death and experiences life all around them. Pretty mysterious, don't you think? I think we, as the embodiment of the resurrection, living out resurrection, must be similarly called to appear to people who in the middle of terror and suffering in the middle of our own to say, reach out and touch my wounds and feel the miracle not of death, feel the miracle of life all around them. Wounds like, you have lost your spouse of 40 years. Put your hand here in my wound. Put your hand in my loss and feel the mystery life around it. You see, the reason this is amazing is because if I made this up, the wound would go away. (laughs) Don't you wish our wounds would go away? Except, don't you see, that if the wound of a lost spouse of 50 years goes away, so does the spouse. And would you have it that way? This, I think, is our opportunity is to not be afraid of our wounds, quite honestly, but as a resurrected community into a world deeply in need of knowing that God is not just some reality when they die, but present even at the points of our deepest wounds to say, reach out your hand and touch God's life right here in my life. Jesus shows up over and over and over again and invites his disciples to touch him. A touch that we all know would be terrifying for us to undertake. And somehow, right, the terror transforms into new life. We are extremely fortunate to think about resurrection in the presence of of this art exhibition, by the way, you know, for four months when you get bored during the sermon, there really is a lot to look at. <laughs> um, and of course, what we're invited to look at are images of transformation to imagine God's presence and call in the world so that we, of course, can also be living icons. And there is transformation necessary, I think, for us to be a resurrected community, and to tell people, quite honestly, what they really would like to know, which is God cares about them right now, not just after they die. Right now. Of course, the mystery we have to figure out, and and Anne Lamott, I think, says this very well, God did not come to take our suffering away from us, but to fill it with God's presence. In the middle of that filling, I pose there are some words, some vocabulary that we have to work to change. The first is the notion of peace. Peace. Like most parents, peace means it's quiet, <laughs> it's still. I think of naps as being peaceful. But of course, in the story, peace has nothing to do with comfort or quiet. Peace has to do with Jesus meeting some terrified people who have just undergone a tragedy and creating something new. Now, any child knows this very well, that the opposite of fat is skinny and the opposite of war is peace. So with that in mind, if war is about destruction, peace is about creation, which in my experience is never quiet. God's peace is is very different than what we normally settle for that's a transformation we're invited into and then jesus says something quite interesting he says go around proclaiming repentance for the forgiveness of sins now i'll tell you that my early model of repentance is like saying i'm sorry god It's like an apology, but not even a good one. Because in my model, when I said, I'm sorry, God, I'm not saying, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm saying a state of being, I am sorry, God. I am a sorry human being. And at a certain point, that admission is a defense. Of course I made a mistake. I am a sorry human being, God, what do you expect? I hope it is delightful for you to know, and we've heard this a bit, but it's helpful to bring this all together. Repentance in the Bible has nothing to do with apologies. Not at all. Repentance has four words. Two in Hebrew, one in Greek, one in Latin, that all feed our word. The first Hebrew word means to turn. It's shuv. I repented this morning when I turned left into the parking lot. Literally. And of course, that's real repentance because I oriented my vehicle and my presence towards a goal that was going to get me somewhere. I turned. Of course, we all make turns when we see one another with compassion and empathy. We turn, we make space for one another. That's repenting. The Greek word metanoia, you know the word metaphysics, above physics, right? Metanoia is beyond thinking. It is in education terms when we have climbed a scaffolding so that our schema has changed. It is having an epiphany. It is seeing the world with a new lens. A lens that cannot come off again because our vision has been transformed. We see God in new, wonderful, sometimes disturbing places. Think about Times you've had a stereotype or a prejudice and then you've encountered a human being instead of your stereotype. That's metanoia. That's repentance. has nothing to do with I'm sorry. It is not about going backward. It's about going forward. The third word comes from Latin and it's the word poena which means it's the root of our word penance. Poena is about making right what was wrong. Now, really, that's what a good apology does. But see, it doesn't mean saying, I'm just, I'm sorry I stole your money. It means giving your money back with interest. Penance. It means when I've hurt you, I accompany you toward health, and I don't get to stop when I want to. I get to stop when you say we're done. That's penance. It's a lost art lost art. (laughs) Of course, you may say, Mike, that's, that's backward looking, but of course it isn't. It's forward leading. It is by doing penance that we walk into a future together. The last word that we get is another Hebrew word, which is interesting, that a word poor language like Hebrew, which has fewer than 10,000 words, consider English with 540,000 words, 10,000 words has two words for repent. This is the word neham, and it means to grieve a structure of sin and I am irretrievably located. So think through. Sexism continues to be a problem in our world. I, as a single human being, cannot defeat this power. It is greater than myself. As much as I wish I could eradicate it, I stand before you as somebody who benefits directly from it. Grief, mourning. You may say, Mike, that's backward-looking. Of course it is not. It is forward-looking. Repentance, turning, getting a new vision, leading people in the future that we've harmed, leading ourselves into God's future. For the forgiveness of sins. So boy, sin was all about a mistake I'd made, a moral failure. But we know this well. According to the prayer book, sin is separation from God. Repentance for the forgiveness of separation from God. Of course, we don't hold that well, do we? Because we have this idea that God is omnipresent all places at one time. So I put to you, can you ever be separate from God? Or do we, in fact, often live into a false reality in which we think God will not come with me here? I am too lonely. I am too broken. I am too guilty. I am too ashamed. God cannot dare deign to join me in this life. which is terrible theology, isn't it? Because either God is everywhere or God is not. Jesus says that the resurrected life is about orienting ourselves and our community and starting to see God exactly in places and people we thought were godless. This is why we will do it again next year. We will not accomplish this in the next 50 days. But it is our invitation to begin to live into it. Our invitation to go and re-edit our lives and to see at those moments when we felt most God forsaken to imagine God doing what we would all do with our parents and our friends and of course our children when they are hurt wishing so badly we could wave some sort of wand and take it away but ultimately unable to do that and holding them, and grieving them, and of course being more present with them in their pain than we had ever been before. You know what this is like when you hold a child who has skinned their knee or stubbed their toe. You would do anything to make that pain go away, and there you are with them in the middle of their suffering and their pain, enveloping them and enshrouding them. And somehow that's insight into the mystery of God. And how tremendous for me, in the middle of this exhibition, that we have so many eyes. The way I grew up, of course, God was always watching us. Which is why you'd better not mess up, because he's making a list and checking it twice. And he will find out who's been naughty or nice. (laughs) God is coming to town, and you won't just get cold, you'll get sent straight to hell. This is the way I grew up. And sometimes it would have been great, honestly, if God just would have blinked so I could have gone to the bathroom, you know? Can I have a moment of privacy, please? Can I have a deep breath? And that is because, don't you see, I thought God was even pettier than I am. And we have this opportunity to worship a God who is greater than us, whose eyes are always on us affirmatively, whose eyes are always open and cannot bear to even blink because God is able to enjoy us even in the moments when we feel most unenjoyable to ourselves. Now that's a mystery, don't you think? It's a mystery you live out with your spouse and your children and your parents from day to day, sometimes more than others. But you know precisely what it's like to love somebody when you can enjoy them in moments they cannot enjoy themselves. This must be how God looks for us. And it must be an invitation to a resurrected life, a transformed life. And then Jesus says something, frankly, that is most interesting. (laughs) You are my witnesses. That word witness is the word martyr. Greek, martyr. You are my witnesses. And of course, he doesn't say to the disciples, you can be my witnesses. You should be my witnesses. I will give you witness training. I will teach you disciples how to go into laundromats and witness. Complete my 42-hour course and I'll give you a certificate suitable for framing. No, Jesus says, willing or unwilling, you are my witnesses of transformed life. And of course, when Jesus writes, is saying this and when Luke writes it down, he's not writing it to the disciples. He's writing it to us, we are witnesses every single day, willing or unwilling, bidden or unbidding, of how God is able to be present in the most mundane of things. The reason I think we hear Peter talking in Acts about having committed um, lived into separation from God, into ignorance, is because our invitation, really, is to enjoy the fact that God has chosen to be so present in us. This is not a warning about being punished. It's an invitation to rejoice that God is in us and in others in the most God-forsaken places and to bear witness to that in our lives so we can enjoy it. The last part I think is the most critical. So we can enjoy it. First John gives us this interesting insight. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us because God has already made us children of God. John goes on to say, wait till you see what God will do next. Can't imagine anything greater than that, but don't you see, John believes it's already been done. And this is why we say at the Eucharist, this comes from the third century, this invitation after the breaking of the bread. These are the gifts of God for the family of God. Behold who you are. Children of God, behold who you are. Family of God, behold who you are. Gifts of God and then become what you receive. That's a fine one, isn't it? One that I think is this vision that offers to guide our imaginations if we can just put a little extra energy, frankly, into living into it. Living into it. That's our invitation. So that we Can enjoy it, and frankly, in a world that is so occupied with happiness that doesn't even know what joy is. So that we can not only be icons of joy, but invite people to live the resurrected life by contemplating us. With us. Amen. Please join me as we pray our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God.